You know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that last song. Um, and and did you did you really get the meaning in that song? Did you hear the meaning when I when I listened to that song? I was thinking about the other great song I could only imagine, huh? We're going to sing that here. We're going to sing that here maybe, maybe someday very soon. I can only imagine. I'm thinking about how is it going to be one day when we get to enter heaven's glory? When was the last time you took the time to think about that? How it's going to be in heaven? And I say that with intention because it is so easy to always have our focus, our conditioning, our substance, and everything about life, everything about our individual lives, zeroed in on the issues that we deal with in this natural world that we live in. And I don't know about you, but when I get my mind on that natural plane long enough, it just gets so overwhelming, so bogged down, nothing seems to work, nothing clicks, nothing's in sync, just nothing works from that natural perspective, right? But when you elevate your thoughts and your thinking and you plant them, in the things that pertain to God, in the wonderful truths that we derive from the Word of God, and you get to thinking about heaven even just a very little bit, oh, the glory that we are going to experience one day very soon. Amen, somebody? Oh, man, I can hear a pin drop in this house. I think I'm alone. I think I... Ron, about you? Amen, Ron? Amen. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, it's going to be glorious one day in heaven. It's going to be glorious, and I cannot wait. So turn in your Bibles, please, without any further ado, to the third chapter of the book of Romans. We're going to be finishing, finishing up this particular chapter. We have a few verses in this chapter, and then we're going to start chapter 4 today as well. Um, I'm looking at the clock. I'm hope, hopefully... We're going to have enough time to get through verse 12 of chapter 4. That is my goal. That's what I want to do. So today we're going to be looking at, we're going to be dealing with two components in this particular, um, in this particular message today. Um, number one, we're going to be considering what Paul the Apostle, the theme that has been Paul the Apostles for these last few weeks as we've been talking about it. And, and I'm sure you have the theme right there, right in the forefront of your mind. Paul the Apostle has been talking about, he's been using, we're going to look at it in a few moments, but he's been using a lot words like justification. So the idea concerns the wonderful, glorious life that we have as children of God in the flesh today, in our bodies, in our lives. This wonderful salvation that has been granted to us because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. And that it has nothing to do with your personal effort. We're going to be talking about that here today. And secondly, Paul the Apostle is going to shift gears just a little bit. In chapter 4, he's going to stay in topic. The theme is going to be the same. This wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. But he's going to be using two Old Testament um, examples of salvation. By faith and faith alone. Which is a wonderful thing. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for service up to this point. We thank you so much for the liberty that you give us in your presence. The glorious, glorious liberty that we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. Even though sometimes we don't necessarily feel like worshiping. 
I'm thankful nonetheless, Father, for the spiritual reality that exists in our individual lives. That is, that we know you personally. And that if we do, it doesn't matter how we feel, because what's determined my salvation, my experience in you, Lord God, is determined by my faith in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And as a result of that, I'm able to experience a renewal this morning. And every part of me is able to line up with the wonderful truth that is in Christ Jesus. Father, I'm thankful for our salvation. I'm thankful for what you, what you finished, what you completed at the cross. And that today we get to talk about that in our lesson. Father, bless us during this time. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding that I may convey publicly what you've revealed to me in secret. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says... Amen. Thank you, Lord. So today we're going to finish up, as I said already, uh, with the remaining verses here in Romans chapter 3. And then, of course, we're going to slip into uh, Romans chapter 4. Thank you, Lord. Read with me, if you will, from um, verse 27. Romans 3, verse 27 through verse 12 of chapter 4. When you have it, say amen. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, Paul says. But what, by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified, that is, declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness Apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalms 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the, uns- only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then... Was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness will be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of all the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, 
but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. May God add blessings to the reading of this word. Verse 27, let's begin there. It reads, then what becomes of our boasting? Paul says, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. These are questions that have been generated, if you will, by the Jewish individual, by the, from the Jewish world view. This is sort of going on. Paul continues in this, in this chapter with, the, with what we talked about once before, the diatribe which is this question and answer format that he gets into. So he's sort of having this imaginary dialogue, this imaginary conversation with somebody. But what he's doing, he's doing it with intention because he's trying to answer all the questions that a Jew may have from the Jewish world view. He wants to make sure that everybody understands the Christian perspective with regard to what? With regard to Salvation in Christ Jesus. And according to Paul the Apostle, the Jewish person from the Jewish worldview can actually raise up this question. Then what becomes of our boasting? Right? So the, the, the idea is that the Jewish person has always thought himself to be able to sort of pat himself on the back because his religion is kind of based on works or rather his misunderstanding of his own Religion. We got a lot of religions just like that in society today. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. But if you're part of a religion that's rooted in personal effort, then you, at the end of the day, you will be able to pat yourself on the back because you're sort of validating yourself based on your own personal effort. And Paul the Apostle is saying, well, wait a minute. No, we don't. That, that doesn't exist in Christ Jesus. There is no boasting in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. And so the idea is that the Jewish person is accustomed to having his beliefs validated. That's a key word. Validated by a system rooted in personal effort. And Paul says, in, in, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, there is no boasting. Because there is no personal effort in, on our part in the things that pertain to God. In other words, faith cancels that out. Faith in Jesus. Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross cancels our personal effort. And when I think about that concept, I think about, I think about verses like Matthew 11. These are verses that bounce off my head, not, not anything that I have in my notes. But I think about Matthew 11:28, where Jesus Christ makes this appeal to mankind. He says, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. See, the Jew was unable to rest in his beliefs because it was rooted in personal effort, according to his failed understanding, that is. But in Christ Jesus, I'm able to step into the kingdom of God, become a part of this wonderful fellowship. No, our grace, brethren, you missed it. You just Anyway. I'm able to step into the kingdom of God and become a part of the fellowship in Christ Jesus. And, and I don't have to worry about doing things to earn, to validate, to substantiate. None of that exists from Paul's perspective here 
in this particular passage. Look at, um, so before we move on. So the biggest part of this concept is that there is no selfish boasting in Christ. Paul the Apostle alluded to some measure of boasting in Philippians chapter 3, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. This, this prideful boasting, it doesn't exist because there's no personal effort involved in All we have to do is receive Christ by faith, and that's it. It's a done deal. And I thank God for that. Amen. Give glory to Jesus Christ for that. Uh, so, a system of works, it kind of says, look at what I've accomplished. That's what a system of works says. But faith says, according to Paul the Apostle, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me so that I may find rest from all my labor. Thank you for the rest that I'm able to enjoy today. The question is now, and how is this rest possible? Look at verse 28. How is this Rest in Christ made possible to us. And verse 28 reads, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is a very important question. Because it kind of settles the matter concerning religion. Religion is man-made for the most part. Right? And if you follow the ways of men, you will always become a part of a system, as I said already, that's rooted and grounded in personal effort. Always. And Paul the Apostle, he's clearing this up. Remember, his audience is primarily Jewish. And he wants them to understand without any issues whatsoever. Listen, baby, if you want to be saved, this, this thing is by faith. Justification is by faith. And look at the word he chooses to use there. He uses justification in verse 28. It means declared righteous. In other words, faith is the determining factor that allows us to experience a peace with our Heavenly Father. That allows us, that actually brings us into fellowship with God. Nothing, nothing else. No works, no self-validation, no self-esteem. Oh, wait a minute, that's not in my notes. No, no self-esteem. I say that with intention because we, we like to throw that around a lot in the church, right? We, we do in society. We, we've adopted some psychological model and we've inserted it into the church and that has no business in the church. This concept of self-esteem, none whatsoever anyway. I digress from that. <clears throat> so, um, okay, I'm watching the screen here. So, justification is by faith. The one other thing that I wanted to point out concerning this is that the, Paul the Apostle, he presents a declaration of righteousness by God the Father upon you and I. And it is imputed upon us by faith when we receive Jesus Christ. Imputed. We used that word a couple of weeks ago. Imputed. How many remember? Right? This is one of those words. Like, really? I don't even want to remember a word that sounds like that. Right? But it's very important. It's a, it's a very important theological term. And you should... Desire to remember the word. It's as if how many of you have ever had somebody deposit a great deal uh, 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 of money into your bank account? How many? Yeah, me, me neither. Me neither. So go, go figure, right? Go figure. Me, me, me neither. But, but think about imputation, what that actually means. It's as if we have a, a spiritual bank account and God says, you know what? He takes all this wealth, all this sum of money, and he, and he puts it into our account. And he settles the debt. Imputation. And that's the wonderful experience that we have in Jesus Christ. 
He settles things by faith. Consider Jehovah's Witnesses and that particular religion. It's not a system like yours and I. It's absolutely, totally contrary. Jehovah's Witness Church teaches that some works of the law must be included or ascribed to along with faith. So it's a combination of things, right? How about Mormonism? Mormonism teaches that we are saved only after all that we can do. How about Islam? Islam teaches that hopefully its followers end up in heaven only if they were good enough. And how about the one that's most prevalent in society today? Catholicism. Catholicism teaches a mixture of faith and works. And according to the word of God, especially according to this one particular passage, the theme of Paul the Apostle's passage is that if you add anything whatsoever to the finished work of Jesus Christ, you actually cancel it out. You nullify the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. I'm thankful, amen, I'm thankful that I can rest assured knowing that Jesus, Jesus paid the price for our salvation. Verse 29 reads, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? And Paul the Apostle says, yes, of Gentiles also. Why do you suppose he brings this up right here, the way that he does? The answer is because, because Jews believed he, they, they, Jehovah God, that the God of the Bible was their God only. And Paul the Apostle, he wanted them to understand. He wanted to cement the idea in the mind of all of his readers, which includes you and I here today, that God is the God of all who believe in him by faith. That's Paul's point. But he also adds something to it. He says, essentially, that that's always been the case. Salvation has always been determined by faith. Did you know that? We're going to look at that in a few moments and you're going to see it clearly. So the, the next slide, the Jews did not believe their God could possibly be the God of, of the Gentiles also. They actually considered themselves to be better than, to be of a higher class than the Gentiles. Therefore, they could not bring themselves to believe that God would actually extend salvation to the Gentiles as well. And so the, the Jew, the Jewish worldview here is objecting to everything that Paul the Apostle is saying. Well, well, wait a minute. You're talking about justification, this, that, and the other. But we know those things to be true for us. Are you actually saying that our God is also the God of the Gentiles? And Paul the Apostle is saying, absolutely yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The, and and this, is, this is a concept that even the early church wrestled with. Did you know that? In Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about an experience that took place. You could read about it in detail in the book of Acts. But Paul, in Galatians 2, Paul talks about, he, he acknowledges briefly an encounter that took place in the church between him and Peter, Barnabas, and a host of other individuals. There was a team from Jerusalem that was scheduled to come in. And prior to their arrival, everybody was dialoguing. Everybody was friends. Everything was going on nicely as it should have been the case. But right before the team from Jerusalem shows up, what happens? Peter separates the Jews from the Gentiles. He creates a schism, if you will, in the church. And Paul sees that even Barnabas was dragged away by that. 
by that unfaithfulness, by that, that unbiblical, extra-biblical stuff. And Paul the, Paul the Apostle, he kind of, you know, he straps up, really, he puts his, his, his tighten his belt real good, and his, and his sandals at the time, his Jordan sandals, he tightens them up really good. And he said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, you guys are way off base. You're not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be doing this. This is wrong. I'm going to read verse 14 to you from Galatians 2. You don't have to go there. Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he set up this separation, if you will, based on some religious or legal notion. And Paul the Apostle corrects Peter. He rebukes him publicly for his error because he was sending the wrong message. Peter misunderstood to a measure the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And the fact, according to context, and the fact that God is not just the God of the Jews, and that that's never been the case, that God has always been the God of the Gentiles also. It's not in my notes, but just a thought. When you read the legal, legal system, when you read the law in the Old Testament, God added some, some principles in the law, some measures in the law, if you will, that allowed for the absorption of anyone from Gentile nations, as long as they dot, dot, dot. And it was a wonderful example revealed to us in the Old Testament how God is, in fact, the God of everyone who receives them by faith. Galatians 3.28 says, referring to our position in Christ, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So the Jew, in his context, is asking the question, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul, you, I think you got this wrong. You're kind of trying to give me the impression that God is the God of the Gentiles as well. But you, you need to pump your brakes right there because you're wrong. That's not what my Old Testament Bible tells me. And Paul says, you're wrong. He says, you're wrong. God has always been the God of the Gentiles also. And that salvation has always been by faith. We're going to look at that right now. So, this, what I just stated now is confirmed in the next verse. Look at verse 30. It says, since, since God is one, I'm sorry, Romans 3.30. Since God is one who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So this is kind of Paul the Apostle's response to the rebuttal from the Jewish worldview. What is he saying here? Number one, he's saying there's only one God, not two. There isn't this idea of a God for the Jew and a God for the Gentile. That's just, that's just not true. And number two, there's only one standard for salvation. And we mentioned that in verse 27. Look at verse 27 again. It says, then what becomes a boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Faith cancels personal effort. We are validated in the presence of God by faith alone. Because of what Jesus Christ finished for us at the cross. 
Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 reads concerning this context. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some men count slowness. Is that a word even? Slowness? But <laughs> ESV, go figure. Uh, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, it says that all should reach repentance. If you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of some. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love that. No relative terminology used there. It's all, it's all absolute terminology. God has always loved mankind. God has always appreciated all of his creation, not some. He just simply established a standard, raised up a nation to serve as a, an example to the world in hopes that the world will realize the error of its way. Thank you, Jesus. Look at verse 31. Because right here in verse 31, what we, what we find is another rebuttal from the Jewish worldview based on everything that Paul the Apostle stated. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And Paul says, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. And it's crazy. In other words, the Jew, the Jew is now saying he's heard everything that Paul the Apostle has stated. And he says, okay, you're telling me that I'm justified by faith in Christ and that the Gentile is also justified by faith in Christ. Does that mean we get to throw out the law? And Paul says, are you crazy, dude? Are you absolutely out of your mind? That's not the word I got on here. I actually got the word where it says, it says you, you goofball. <laughs> I got goofball. Of course not. Paul says, of course not, you goofball. How can you possibly throw out something that's absolutely perfect in nature? There was nothing wrong with the legal system, with the law in itself. In fact, in other places in the New Testament, Paul says that the law is righteous. It's perfect. We can't measure up because we are imperfect, because we are sinners. And that's the reason why Jesus Christ had to come, manifest himself, Philippians chapter 2, in human form for the purpose of going to the cross to offer us a way out of our, our, our crisis, our sinful nature, by faith and by faith alone. And now the... The Jew is thinking about this. He well, wait a minute. This really doesn't make any sense. Number one, the purpose of the law is to render us guilty before a righteous God. Paul the Apostle is trying to get them to understand this. He says, if you remove the law, we then experience full-blown anarchy. Can you imagine a society without the rule of law? I mean, we're, we're almost there. You know, we're, we're almost there. You leave it to the, <laughs> my mouth, I just want to run. You leave it to the liberal left, we'll, we'll be there like next week, like tomorrow. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. We don't have the rule of law in some, some, some areas of our wonderful country anymore. And that should not be the case. There's a reason why we have the legal system. 
And in Christ, in this context, just because we're saved by faith, you, you, you don't get to throw out the law as if it's worthless now. There's some Christian denominations that do away with the Old Testament. Like, what is that? You, you can't do that. You, you just can't do that. Because the law allows me to know from God's perspective what's right and what's wrong. Of course, I'm not going to make application to everything in the Old Testament. There were some ceremonial laws that, that are just not applicable anymore. But the moral law, the spirit of the law, it, it points me to it. It exposes my sin. It renders me guilty before a holy God. And it pointed me, it pointed them. It actually, I'm able to look back to the cross today. But in the Old Testament for the Jewish nation, the law allowed them to look forward in hope to the day when God himself would spill his blood on an old rugged cross. The typology or the Christology, however you want to call it, it's all over the legal system, the, the law in the Old Testament. And they knew it. And when the Christ himself showed up in human form, fulfilling everything they knew to be true, they missed him. Chapter 4. After all these things from Paul about justification by faith, he continues with this topic, it topic into the next chapter. But, but this time he appeals to two Old Testament famous examples to further his case. That is, Father Abraham and King David. And by the way, I, I should insert here that what we learn here in chapter 4, you can actually use this to minister to Jewish people. Anybody with Jewish friends? Who do not know Jesus. What we're going to learn here in, in, in Romans chapter 4. You can actually use all of this information to successfully minister to a Jewish person. Who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. So Paul the Apostle what he basically does is. It, when he enters. We're going to look at it. We're going to see it. But he's going, he's going to go into this, this theology. This, this perspective if you will. Where he's actually reaching for the juggler. Of the Jewish person. The one who's defending his, defending his Jewish worldview. He's going to go right for the juggler. Because his intent is to go after the foundation of Jewish beliefs. Jews believe Abraham was justified by the law. And in his logic, the argument should fall apart when confronted with the facts. Look at verse 1. Chapter 4. It says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham... Our forefather according to the flesh. And again, Paul raises this up. He's having this imaginary conversation because he wants to make sure that he covers all his bases concerning the Jewish worldview. Or rather, concerning justification by faith in Christ Jesus. He wants to make sure that he inserts that into every facet of the Jewish worldview. So, they un so that they would understand. You think they did? Those who accepted Christ by faith understood it clearly. But we still have a Jewish nation today that doesn't believe in Jesus because they just simply fail to believe. So this verse, in other words, um, what was his experience? What was Abraham's experience in the body? Was he saved according to the deeds of the law? Or was it because he simply believed God by faith? What is your answer to that question? The Jews' response is... Uh, of course, according to the deeds of the law. That's how he was justified. And Paul the Apostle goes on to say, uh, that's not true. 
at all. And he goes on to prove it. Look at verse 2. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, this is to say, if Abraham was saved by some merits system, then he has something to boast about in himself. His efforts then become the determining factor for his salvation. And Paul the Apostle was trying to get his Jewish audience to understand that that's just not the case. You cannot work your way into heaven. You guys have misunderstood the Old Testament legal system all along. Which is true. Which is another message. When you, it, it, it delves into this idea of serving God according to the spirit of the law. It doesn't mean they were exempt from the the mandates, the specific mandates of the law, there was a reason why God instituted those things. But God wanted, to un- wanted, the- wanted his nation to understand the spirit of the law because that's where we get into this saved by faith, even in the Old Testament. You're going to see that come up in a few moments. Um, let's move on. So the point of Paul's argument is that we nullify God's redemptive plan By adding anything to his finished work in Christ Jesus. And then he essentially moves on and he says to the Jew, well, I'm going to prove it to you. Look at verse 3. He said, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so now we got the Jewish audience listening to this. Wait a minute. Oh, I know that particular passage. Yes, it says that, but he was still justified by the law. Paul the Apostle says, no, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove to you that that Abraham was actually justified way before the law was instituted. And even before circumcision, which is absolutely important. So when Paul says here, what does the scripture say? Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's actually quoting from, you could turn there and look at it if you want, from Genesis 15, verse 6. During the time when God was ratifying the faith covenant with Abraham. Paul says, read it for yourself, essentially. It's something you should be acquainted with. And the point is that Abraham did not have to work to receive God's righteousness. It was imputed by faith. And this is when I asked you earlier about this, this illustration regarding somebody ever depositing a large amount of money into your bank account. Well, that's essentially what God did with regard to Abraham, believing in him by faith. God did not say, I need you to do this, that, and the other in order to be validated in my sight. And this is all too important of a topic. Maybe not so much so for you and I, because you, let me tell you, you people like way up here. You people like way up here, you, you, you understand grace. You have always understood grace, right? Hence, Caris Fellowship, etc. But there are churches, there are churches where friends of yours go to. That somehow, some way, the, the people are, are, are brothers and sisters in the Lord, are bound to some merits system or some system of effort, personal effort. And when they are not meeting somebody's expectations... I say somebody because it's not God's expectations. When they feel as if they're not adding, measuring up rather, then they wander away from the faith. Do you know somebody who who perhaps struggles with sin? We all wrestle with sin from time to time, right? Do you know somebody who's not a part of this fellowship 
or maybe even somebody who is a part of this fellowship, who has done something, said something, did something wrong, and reckoned it to be sin in his or her personal life. But as a result of the guilt that person has experienced, he or she wandered away, walked away from the church, believing that he or she has lost grace, violated grace, lost salvation, or anything along those lines. You know anybody like that? I know a lot of people like that. And they live with this burden on their shoulders on a daily basis, as if we can actually please God in and of ourselves. And Paul the Apostle's argument is that that's just not the case in Christ. We have this wonderful rest that we can become a part of. This wonderful rest. And the Jew is saying, no, no, wait a minute, but you're wrong. Because our father Abraham was justified by works. He had to do something in order to earn God's favor. And Paul says, no, let's look at that. Just, I'm looking at the time and I just want to skip over some of this. Dave, hopefully you can follow along with the PowerPoint. Um, so here's a question. So what about this idea of works prevailing in the mind of a Jew? Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul the Apostle is borrowing from a business idea. Where, you know, the employees that are working to get paid, your wages, your paycheck at the end of the week. And Paul the Apostle is essentially saying concerning Abraham, that just, that just wasn't the case. You know, he didn't, have to, he didn't have to work in order to earn anything with God the Father. And, and, and then Paul the Apostle essentially goes on to say the theology that he believed in is, the, the, is actually the theology that I'm preaching to you right now. It's one and the same. In Christ there is no boasting. There are no works. There's no mixture of faith and works. Just believing in God by faith. And Paul makes it clear that the person who gives up himself and surrenders to Jesus' finished work on the cross, shall be saved. And that's the only way we can be saved. Period. Punto. Y claro, se acabó. There's no other way. There's just no other way. And next, he, he goes on to qualify his statements by referring to Old Testament passage concerning another patriarch, King David. Look at verse 6, six, six through 8. We're going to move along. Verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And again, this is the very same theology. The same theology that Paul the Apostle has been preaching all along in this Roman series. The same theology that Abraham believed in when God called upon him. This is the same theology that now um, he mentions concerning David himself. How many of you remember the story in, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12 when King David got himself into some 
Pretty, pretty decent trouble. How many remember that story? When he was hanging out on his roof, it was customary at that time, when, whenever there was a war that took place, kings actually went off to war. And the king actually led their army into battle. Doesn't necessarily mean he went all the way into battle. At some point, he probably backed up a little bit so that he can re, um, assume command of his armies, right? Give command to his generals, etc. There's one particular day, for whatever reason, King David chose to stay at home and not go off to battle. How many know that, you know, when you find yourself at the wrong place at the wrong time, you can get yourself in some really, really bad trouble? How many ever been there? Come on, tell the truth. Be honest. Every hand should go up and your feet. Roy, your hands and your feet, right? Because you're still getting yourself in trouble. Roy is always getting himself in trouble. Uh, so King David, rather than going off the battle, he stays off home. What does the Bible tell us, tell us in 2 Samuel 11? He's looking over. He's looking over his balcony, his terrace, his patio, whatever it was, right? Now he's feasting his eyes because he sees Bathsheba washing herself. He desires to have her. He sends for her. He has her. Later on, she sends word to him that she was pregnant. Then he crafts the scheme to actually kill her husband. And he actually succeeds in that. He kills her husband. He has her for a wife. She gives birth to a child. And God sends a prophet. He says, you messed up. You messed up, dude. And he takes the life of a child. And that season of David's life was extremely hard. And it was extremely critical. But to get back to the context is, it came a point where as long as he refrained from, kept himself from confessing his sin to God. And by the way, we're just not going to finish. Um, to verse 12. King David says, I kept silent all the day long. This is a quote from Psalms. So long as I kept silent, my bones were roaring all the day long. And he was experiencing the misery associated with active sin in our lives. Because isn't that the case? When you harbor sin in your life without confessing, it's sort of, you grieve the Holy Spirit. You're, you're not necessarily losing your salvation, as some people say, right? But you grieve the Holy Spirit, and now you, you find yourself in this precarious place. Where's my fellowship with God? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why are thou so far from helping me? Right? King David says, I felt bad until one day I confessed my sin. And God forgave my sin. Psalms chapter 51 records his repentance. His acknowledgement of his sin and his repentance. In Psalm 32, he talks about the wonderful experience that ensued as a result of his confession of sins. Psalms 28 verse 13 says that he that covers his sins will not prosper. For whoever confesses and forsakes them, shall have mercy. There's a place in the kingdom of God with regard to our personal fellowship with the Lord. And I have to close here, unfortunately. There's a place for forgiveness, for confession rather, with regard to our fellowship with God. God is a loving God. He's an unconditional God. But He's a, 
He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. And he wants us to confess our sins to him. Yes, Paul's argument thus far has been that you don't have to work to make it into heaven. You never. This is not about personal effort. But it does not mean you get to live your life without confessing your sins to God. Because when you harbor your sins, when you involve yourself in sinful activity, you actually grieve the Holy Spirit and you're not going, you're, you're sort of going to hinder your growth and your development. Be honest with a show of hands. How many of you, perhaps not currently, but in the past, at some point, you were in a dark place and you found out later this because you were not fulfilling your responsibilities with regard to your fellowship with Jesus Christ? How many of you? How many, how many of you know what that dark place feels like? There's absolutely nothing like that. Nothing like that. When you're feeling the wooing of the Holy Spirit drawing you into fellowship with God on a daily basis. And you're running and you're running and you're constantly running. And, and you're enjoying this hedonistic lifestyle. It's all about me right now. Just let me be for a little while. Just let me be. Let me do my own thing. And we run off, right? And we're enjoying ourselves in the things that pertain to this world and this life. And we justify it. And then one day, everything's come, everything comes crashing down on us. God breaks the door down. He demands our attention. But like the story of the prodigal son, he waits for, he waits for us with loving arms all the time. Every time, every time, every time. In fact, he doesn't move at all. We are the ones who move emotionally and in all those other ways as well. But he remains there. He says, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have fellowship with you because I want to perfect that which concerns you. I want to make you better. I want to make you more like myself. I've given you this day so that you can be more like me. There's no mandate upon your life. I'm not going to strike you dead. I just want to have fellowship with you. I just want to enjoy you. And the Jew is saying, no, it's not that easy. It can't be that easy. And again, I'm reminded of the conversation we had with, um, what's the woman we refer to as your mom? Ilda. Ilda. Ron and I took our time with her, just sharing the, the, the principles of this passage where she says, it can't be that easy. It's not possible. You mean I don't have to do this, that, and the other? I don't have to jump through a ring of fire and hoops and, and twirl this and do the No, you don't have to. All you have to do is receive Him by faith. He died for you. Stand with me. Can we get the worship team to come up? All we have to do is just acknowledge our sin, recognize it for what it is, Recognize the fact that our God sacrificed himself on the cross. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes as you listen to me. Because I want you to scrutinize your heart. You must scrutinize your heart. Haggai 1.5, Haggai 1.7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Consider... Your ways. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. God has a wonderful plan in store for every single one of us. It started for you a long time ago. In eternity past. Because that's when he had you on his mind. 
And then you began to realize it the day you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But there's more to God than what you are currently experiencing. Did you hear that? There's more to God than what you are currently experiencing. God wants to bring you out of that dark place that you may find yourself in. God wants to allow you to experience the hope that only He can provide. The peace that passes all understanding. He has that for you here today. And all you have to do is just consider your ways. And allow Him into the, the every recess, every, every facet of your life. Beginning in your heart this morning. And say within your heart to God, Lord, I want to serve you in spirit and in truth. Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to serve you in spirit and in truth. I'm not going to go through the motions anymore. You've given me a wonderful salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. And I've been taking it for granted. But no more, Lord God. I want to serve you with all of my heart. I want to follow you. I want to do what you're asking me to do. I want to fulfill the ministry that you have in store for me. The ministry that you've been leading me to involve myself in. Today I say yes, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you so much for the breath of life. Thank you for allowing us to consider your word this morning. And Father, I pray that you forgive me, Lord God, if I have chopped it up and ruined it in my feeble way somehow. I pray that somehow by your spirit you may, you may speak the message into every heart here this morning and to anybody listening over the internet. I pray that you may help us to understand the message of the cross because it's the greatest message afforded to us. There's absolutely nothing better than it. That today we can be saved by faith and by faith alone. And that the Jewish person or the Mormon or the, or the Catholic or the, or the Muslim or anybody else on this planet who's striving about works, that that person too can just simply stop and look to you in Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life that you have in store for every single one of us. Father, I pray blessings on your congregation, blessings on your people here, Lord God. May you minister to every soul. May you encourage every soul. May you strengthen everybody here today. And may you give us all an insatiable thirst to read the Word of God and to pray to you on a regular basis. Especially now, this week, Lord God, we're going into our, the book of Mark as our intentional reading. May we be faithful with that this week, Lord God. May every person here open the Bible to this week to, be, to read through the book of Mark. And may we do that every week faithfully, Lord God, so that you can enhance us and bring about your development in our lives. Father, I thank you for this. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. And God's people say, let us worship and then we'll close.
leafing through my pages. I must have grabbed two pages at a time at one point. Because I just remember something I wanted to say that I should have said. When we got into that one particular verse where Paul the Apostle wanted to prove to his Jewish audience concerning circumcision, the question was, when was he justified? Before or after circumcision? And the answer is he was justified before circumcision. So God, God called Abraham, just make a mental note of this, God called Abraham in Genesis 12. In Genesis 15, he ratified the covenant with him. And in Genesis 17, sometime later, he gave him the seal, the mark, the, the circumcision. Two chapters later, he was justified, declared righteous before circumcision. And his Jewish audience would not receive that for the most part. Yet, it's in the scriptures and cannot be denied. So when you're dealing with a Jewish person, a Jewish friend, co-worker, even a boss who's struggling with your faith, you can just simply point to those three points. Called Genesis 12, covenant ratified Genesis 15, and circumcision instituted in Genesis 17 in that particular order. What can the Jewish person looking into his own Bible say as a rebuttal when the facts are clear? Amen? Let's pray. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your message. Thank you for your word. And thank you for what it's doing in our lives. Father, our lives are based on the truth of your word. We live for it. Father, we live for this all the time. We're not perfect, 
But we live for it. We depend upon you. We want your word, your voice in our lives. Will you quicken this word we, we have received this morning? Will you quicken it into our souls, into our spirits? Can you enhance us by it, Father? And strengthen us by it? Can you help us to put it in perspective so that we may share, perhaps if given the opportunity, the truth of this passage with our Jewish friends so that they too may find salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we bless you for this time. We thank you for it. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Don't forget that immediately after service now, we have our business meeting. Our members are welcome to... Attend.